Has everyone met Aileen from Melbourne Coffee Merchants? Yes. So Tashi and I travelled to Kenya earlier this year in February. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about the trip, some of the way that coffee is produced and sold in Kenya, just to give you some context on it as a producing origin. Just kicking off, this is Kenya. It's in East Africa. Um, you can see Ethiopia is above it, Uganda, Tanzania, Somalia. Yeah, Somalia. Um, it has its own port, Mombasa, so all of the coffee that's coming out of Kenya is exported via Mombasa. The capital, Nairobi, is where we stayed on our trip for the entirety of the time. And most of the coffee that we is produced in Kenya and all of the coffee that we bought from Kenya this year was grown in central Kenya, which is really close to Nairobi. And it encompasses areas like Nyeri, Maranga, Embu, Kirinyaga is another area that we bought from. And you can see that it's really super close to Mount Kenya. And that has a huge effect on the way that Kenyan coffees taste. So I think when we think about Kenyan coffees, one of the first things that kind of comes to mind is just how delicious they are and how distinct they are. Like if you've been tasting coffee for a while, you can usually pick a Kenyan coffee off of a lineup of coffees just by taste alone. And a lot of that has to do with where they're grown. So Mount Kenya is an extinct volcano. It's the second highest peak in Africa after Kilimanjaro. And it is 5,200 metres above sea level, so it's super high. And as you can imagine, the, the land around Mount Kenya is really, really fertile. So it's volcanic soil, very nutrient-rich, filled with minerals, and that means that you get all of those nutrients and minerals going into the coffee plants, and what, you result, what the result of that is these super complex, delicious coffees that have a lot of different things going on. Um, a good example of that is phosphoric acid, which Kenyan coffee is very high in. The soil around Mount Kenya, sorry, I'm listening to myself through the microphone, it's weird. The soil around Mount Kenya is really rich in phosphates. And that translates to phosphoric acid in the plants. And phosphoric acid is what they put into Coca-Cola to make it taste sparkly. So that's where you get that really vibrant, pungent acidity in Kenyan coffees. And a lot of the typical kind of Kenyan flavours, like blackcurrant, lime, Coca-Cola, cherry, <laughs> what else, tomato, they're really just a result of the types of soils that the Kenyan coffees are grown in. The other thing about Mount Kenya is it's super high. So the producing areas around Mount Kenya are very, very high. Because Kenya is on the equator, it's warm. I think this is... It's super warm, which means that you can grow coffees really, really high. So some of the highest produced coffees in the world come from Kenya, as high as like 2,200 metres of our sea level, which is really, really high. And that's also going to kind of contribute to the crisp, delicious, sweet, balanced coffees that, oh sorry, not balanced, coffees that we get from Kenya. Most of the coffee that is grown in Kenya is coming off of really small estates or small farms. They'd be family-owned farms. Some are as small as like a quarter of an acre, which is tiny. And the family would be growing lots of different things on that land. So they would be growing food crops to feed their family and also sell at the local markets. Uh, they'd have some livestock, so a couple of cows, some chickens, some goats. And then coffee is grown as a cash crop. So they would be harvesting their coffee twice a year and selling it and getting kind of bigger amounts of money at that point. And that money is put towards things like school fees or maintenance on the farm or you know, big purchases like a new truck or whatever. And Kenya's kind of, un it's not quite unique, but it's, it's rare that it has two crops a year. And that's again, because it's so close to the equator. So they have a main crop 
and then a fly crop earlier in the year. Usually that farmer will be a member of a cooperative and the cooperative will own a washing station or in Kenya it's called a factory, somewhere close to that area. And the farmer would deliver that cherry to the co-op on the day that they pick it. And then the cherry is processed at the cooperative's washing station. And there's quite a lot of good oversight on the processing of that coffee. So there's a lot of different points of quality control. It's all almost all washed process. The coffee that is rejected at the washing station would come back to the farm and be dried. And that's kind of like what goes into the domestic market in Kenya. But there's no natural processing uh, coming out of those cooperatives or coming out of those factories. It is primarily washed coffee and it's done to a very high standard. So that is also kind of contributing to how clean and sweet um, Kenyan coffees are and how reliably clean and sweet they are. Outside of that, there are a lot of very large estates in Kenya who would be processing their coffee on, their own, on the same land and they would kind of be looking after the marketing and sale of that coffee as well. Those larger states would have been set up by the British when they colonised Kenya in the early 1900s. Um, and they still run, there's lots of them out there, but we don't really come across those coffees as often as we would, as often as we would uh, coffees from cooperatives. In between these kind of like giant British, they're not British owned anymore necessarily, but back in the day, they definitely would have been. They would have been controlled by the Brits, owned by the Brits, and then um, all of the profits coming out of those estates would have been going back to these large British trading companies, even though Kenyans were working on the land. And that was kind of the status quo up until the middle of the 20th century, because Kenyans weren't actually allowed to farm coffee. It was regulated by the government that it was only grown on these large estates. And then obviously there were some political changes mid-century in Kenya. They gained independence in the 60s. And as part of that, uh, Africans were allowed to grow coffee. And that's why a lot of the farms that we visit, they would have been planted in the 1950s. And that's when they were doing all of the research at Scott's Laboratories and created the varieties SL28 and SL34. So a lot of those farms were planted with those varieties. And the trees would be about 60 or 70 years old now. In between small estate holders and those giant estates is what they call medium estates. And those are farmers who have enough land that they can have their own small factory on their land and process their coffee, but they're not large enough to kind of have their own like marketing and sales happening as well. That just allows them a little bit more control over the quality of the coffee and then also a bit more autonomy about how and where their coffee is being sold. Even if they're not doing the selling, they can kind of track where it's going and have a little bit of negotiating power with the final buyer. Yeah, just that all the Kenyan coffees we've bought uh, in the past have been from washing stations, cooperatives that have been bought through an auction system. This year is the first year we're really starting. We're going to see coffees from uh, these small farms. So for me, it's really exciting because it means that we can have a really direct uh, relationship with a discrete family group or like a, a lot of coffee. And in the past, it's been sort of the roll of the dice. You know, if it's one at the um, at the Kenyan auction system, then it might be available to us. And if it's you know if somebody else wants it more, then then it's not available to us. Just briefly, because of the Ethiopian Kenya, just. The amount of coffee being produced in Kenya is tiny. tiny. The farms are tiny compared to Ethiopia. So I was very surprised again, having just been there. And we went to Kenya for a few days with Jason. 
they were very small um, and a lot more progressed, like um, kind of progressive farms as well. Everything was in clean, neat rows and everything was kind of looked after in a completely different way to the kind of wilderness of Ethiopia, just to give you context between the two countries. Yeah, and actually to that point, I'll talk about this in a second, but to that point, um, the, one of the biggest threats to Kenyan coffee production right now is actually real estate development because all of the coffee is grown so close to Nairobi. And Nairobi is this huge metropolis which is kind of um, sprawling and a lot of the land where coffee would have historically been grown has been taken over for real estate development. Um, a couple of other things, it's coffee in Kenya is really expensive to produce. They kind of, they deal with a lot of uh, leaf rust which SL28 and SL34 are not resistant to. So they have to um, spray the coffees at a certain time to control for that. And then they also have um, some diseases that require a lot of inputs and pesticides. Another thing that's uh, kind of affecting coffee production in Kenya is that it's a lot of second generation farmers now. Kenya is a really well educated country. Everybody goes to school, elementary school, everybody goes to high school, and then most people go to university. And so second generation farmers are going, they're moving into Nairobi and they're leaving their farms behind. And so there's less regulation or less oversight over the quality. Really, there's not much of an incentive to go and focus on those farms because price fluctuations are so crazy and wild that they're not really making that much money off of their coffee anyway. So the people who we're buying from, who are these kind of small to medium sized farmers, they've made a choice to really invest in their coffee production and they're hugely dedicated and progressive. Similar to Ethiopia, coffee, uh, the way that coffee is sold in Kenya is complicated. Um, and we just made this little infographic. So the first person in the chain of custody of the coffee is the grower, that's the person who is farming the coffee. Then the coffee would go to a factory and that's either privately owned, usually on the land of the estate or by a cooperative somewhere in the area. That's where the processing is happening. And then this is kind of the unique and unusual step for um, coffee is Kenyan farmers employ a marketing agent. And a marketing agent's job is to find a market for the coffee, basically. So they're the one who is, uh, they're finding the final buyer for the coffee on behalf of the farmer. They never own the coffee, the farmer owns the coffee and they employ the marketing agent. So for the marketing agent, their customer is the farmer and they have to make themselves appealing to the farmer somehow. So the way that they do that is they offer things like support and education, training, agronomy training. Um, they'll offer microfinancing or pre-financing. They might do things like buy the fertilizers and the pesticides that the um, farmers need in bulk and then so they get a discount on them and then they can sell them to them cheaper. There's lots of different ways that they do that and then they find the buyer for the farmer. So basically their objective is to help the farmer maximise their yields through agronomy training and then help them secure the best prices that they can for their coffee. Um, and they are selling the coffee, oh, sorry, they are also organising the milling of the coffee. So once the coffee is dried and ready for milling, they are the ones who are kind of contracting the mill on behalf of the farmer and they would help prepare the coffee uh, for its final step, which is sale. And that's either through the auction system or it's a direct sale and through, and it's going to a trader. And the trader is the person who buys the coffee from the farmer and then sells it to the final buyer, which in this case is MCM, 
And then we obviously buy it and sell it on to roasters like Market Lane. These guys own the coffee up until here, the farmer, that's the point of sale. And then the trader sells to the final buyer. The marketing agent is quite unique. This doesn't really exist in other countries. And so this year, we were really keen to buy. We've always bought outside of the auction system, but we also wanted to buy more directly uh, with the producer and start creating some like more established relationships with people that we can buy from every year, get a bit more traceability. We've mentioned the auction a couple of times. It's an amazing organisation. Almost 95% of Kenya's coffee is sold through the auction system. It was established in the 30s, so it's been running for a long time, and coffee comes to Nairobi. Marketing agents will send samples to the auction, and then traders can come and take samples and taste them, and then the following week they auction off that coffee. What that auction system does is it creates a really direct correlation between the taste and the quality of the coffee and the price that the farmer makes for that coffee, which is pretty unusual, and for it to have been happening since the 1930s is amazing. This auction system has really informed a lot of the ways that specialty buyers look for and purchase coffees. It also informed like Cup of Excellence, the way that that system works. So it's something to be really admired. It doesn't serve everybody well though, because most of the coffee is coming to the auction system through co-ops or large estates. There's not a lot of traceability on the coffee, so you don't necessarily know the specific farmers that grew it. It's still tied to, so the auction prices that are made for the coffee lots are still tied to the international sea market, which as we know is super, super volatile and fluctuates wildly. And then also, uh, you can't really sell small volumes on the auction system. There's a minimum volume size of 30, 60 kilo bags. And so if you're a small producer and you're only producing 10 bags, you can't sell that lot by itself through the auction. You have to lot it together. So it's great, but this year we were really keen to kind of get a little bit more of a connection with the producers themselves. Um, this is me and Tosh with, this is a guy called Moses, who's the factory manager at New Jora, which is the coffee that you guys bought. And then this is Minor, who's the chairman of the Mathifi Farmers Society Cooperative, who um, own New Jora. They have three washing stations and New Jora is one of them. So to do that, we started working with a trader called Kenyakoff. And Kenyakoff is the trader, and then underneath the same parent company, they have a marketing agent called Sustainability. And what Sustainability is doing that's so exciting is they're working, uh, they're specifically working with small farmers, and they're promising those small farmers that they can find a market for these really small lots, and they can find a miller who will mill the lots individually, because that is also adding to the cost. So we were super stoked to cup with Kenyakoff. One of the reasons that we're so excited about it is because of Mia, who we also work with in Ethiopia. She's a woman that MCM has been working with for a long time. And she's the head of Kenyakoff, and she just has a really good fix on all the complexities of Kenya and is an amazing person to work with. So we were keen. This was our first year working with them. Historically, we bought through Dormans, which is another trader that has a really great reputation. So this is us cupping in their lab. This guy's name was James. He was amazing. What makes Kenyakov particularly special is that they have Sustainability, And so Sustainability is a team of agronomists. This is Wycliffe, he's the head of Suka. And he has a team of six agronomists that go out and they work directly with the farmers to provide training and resources. Wycliffe helps organise the milling of the coffee through the mill that Sustainability doesn't own, but it's also owned by the same parent company, Kahawa Bora. 
This is Lucy, she's the head agronomist. And this is just a, you can see some of the farming practices that they're implementing. This is just a pruning technique. Two photos with a line down the middle, not one photo. It's some nice, healthy coffee trees. We met Lucy as well, who was in the photos, a few photos away. Um, and they, for example, they've got an app that they've made for all the farmers. This is how different coffee farming is between Ethiopia and Kenya, but they've got an app called Shamba, which is, um, means a coffee farm in Swahili, yeah. And they were showing us all the things that they're basically sharing all this information with their growers. So it's like they actually make a lot of information very transparent and, and really educate people and get a lot of feedback from their farms. You know, what, what, how does your soil measure and um, what kind of rainfalls are you getting, how much yield are you getting out of a tree and all that sort of stuff. So they're really um, forward-thinking um, people. One of the big things is actually maximising yield. Like a lot of these trees, they would only be getting, you know, maybe five kilos off of, and they should be able to get 10 kilos of cherry off of all of the trees. So it's not so much about replanting the farms. This is at Gumba, which is the coffee that's up here, and it's, an, it's a single variety farm, so it's all SL34. So these are SL34 trees, and that's pretty special and unique. Healthy cherry. This is Kahawa Bora, Andrew, the, the manager of the mill. And just something to note about Kenyan coffee is when it arrives at the mill, it's, it's marked down with an outturn number, which is the number is the, the week of the harvest that it is, the, um, the name of the mill that it's come to, and then the number of customers that, it, the, the number of the customer that's arrived that day. And so different co-ops or different factories are sending different lots to the mill all the way through the harvest. So quite often you'll see different outturns have very different um, qualities, but we always pick the best ones. Uh, yeah, and the mill is obviously where the coffee is dry milled and prepared for export. They do a lot of QC at the mill. So this is the first place that we were cupping coffee and it's the first place that we cupped gumba, which we were really excited about. They're cupping maybe like 150 coffees a day and they're kind of finalising the, um, the grading and the sorting of that coffee there and making the selection that's going to be presented to Kenyakoff for purchase. Kenyakov has first dibs on all of the coffees that's coming from Sustainability and Kahawa Bora Mill, but they don't buy all of it because it's not all great. So if they don't buy it, it'll go to the auction system. And sometimes farmers who have bought their coffee to be milled individually, it's just it just doesn't make the grade, and so they lot it together and they would sell it as a farmer group. So they work with a number of different co-ops, lots and lots of small individual farmers, who are more challenging to work with because you've got a bunch more customers and as you know, that means a bunch more personalities. Um, but one of the co-ops that they are buying from is Kamwangi. This is Kamwangi, which you guys have bought this year and is coming up later. Kamwangi is just around the corner from Gumba. So it's the same area. If Gumba wasn't processing their own coffee, they would be delivering it to Kamwangi. If you go back to the last photo, you can see the soil is just bright red and it's all, yeah, probably volcanic and it's also very hot. I don't know, was very it? Very warm. Very warm. But cold at night. Perfect growing conditions. This is Nujora, which is owned by Mathithi and this is one that we were super excited to buy and one that we're really pleased that Market Lane is taking because Minor, who's the chairman of Mathithi, is incredibly progressive and is doing some really cool stuff. The um, Shamba Digital that uh, Miller was mentioning is the... the the pilot project is with Mathithi and their farmers, so uh, Sustainability hasn't rolled it out across their entire farmers group yet, but um, they've been working really closely with Mathithi. They're just doing cool stuff. We were there out of harvest, so nothing exciting is happening, but 
This is Miner. He's great, really progressive. He's growing Batian and Ruru on the farm so that they can understand those varieties better. I didn't mention them earlier. They're more rust-resistant varieties that Kenya's developed. Um, and then this is a kind of not great photo, but you can also see he's put in, there's a whole part of his land which is, an, which is not arable. So they've started um, doing a honey project there where they've got beehives that they'll be colonising this year and they should have honey ready. And I think, is Market Lane supporting that? Yes. Yes. So Market Lane is fully funding that project and that's going to help them maximise what they can make off of the land at the washing station. Um, and then this is William, who's the farm manager at Gumba, so around the corner from Kamwangi. This is another coffee that we were delighted that Market Lane bought and is on your bar now and tasting fantastic. We were... We found this to be so, so delicious at Origin. And this guy was amazing. He came out all dressed up for us. Um, he's got over 40 years of experience in farm management, has his own little farm, but delivers cherry to Kamwangi, but then manages this farm for a second generation farmer who also works in a bank in the city um, and is doing an immaculate job. It was one of the best kept farms I've ever been to. This is not Gumba, but just to give you an idea of the scale of the factories on, on, on small farms. So they're quite small, but all the same things. That's it. That's me. Any, any questions for Aileen? How are the marketing agents paid? Is it a percentage? Yeah, so after the coffee's sold, they, they take out like a standard fee. Yeah. And then I would have to double check it, but I'm pretty sure they take out some kind of percentage for like the price, like a commission, basically. Yeah. Well, technically, they're not allowed to be. They're, it, it's regulated that they can't be the same company, which is why they all have, like, the same parent company but different names. Okay. And, like, like Sustainability is not allowed to own Kahawa Bora Mill, but they kind of do. Right. Yeah, they're different registered entities, but they're... It's the same but it's the same for all the traders. Right, but I mean, so Kenyakov is dedicated to finding the best market for those coffees as well. So like Mia had kind of said to me, you know, we always want to buy from our own supply chain because Kenyakov is also buying from the auction. Actually, Gakuini Peaberry, which you guys have, is not from Sustainability. It's from CMS, which is Dorman's marketing agent and Dorman's passed on it. So Kenyakov bought it. You should always be buying from your own supply chain wherever possible and she was proposing prices to us that seemed fair and were still somewhat attached to the auction prices that were being made so that you don't disrupt the whole ecosystem. But she was saying to us, you know, like, you can negotiate these prices if you want, but this is what I think is a fair price for this coffee and this is, I'm starting high, you know. And we just said, okay, <laughs> and paid those prices. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it, it, it sounds like it's going through a lot of hands, but it, I think it's fairly efficient. And Mia was saying about 75 to 80% of the, the price that we pay actually goes to the farmer itself, him or themselves. It's not a huge um, chunk that goes to the marketing and then also the mill. And compared to other systems, it's incredibly transparent for the farmer. The farmer knows what they're making for their coffee. They, they're the ones paying the marketing agent, so they see what that fee is. So they, they actually have complete oversight on what they're making on their coffee and they also have, they can negotiate it. Even at the auction, if, if the coffee doesn't reach the reserve price on the day that they have it in the auction, they can refuse to sell it and they'll put it back in the auction in like two weeks time. So compared to some other places where farmers are selling cherry and then not seeing it at all or where it goes, the Kenyan system is pretty equitable.
for the farmer. So already with Miner from New Jorah, we've pretty much committed to buying his coffee next year as well, and we bought their full production. So we are, Market Lane is a really important customer for Miner now. Yeah, that's just, it's bringing so much more security to those farmers, knowing that they already have somewhere to sell the coffee. And, and MCM is actually contributing to Mathifi by, um, we're redoing their washing channels. So the quality will potentially go up next year with that kind of collaborative direct relationship. He's been WhatsApping me a lot. Uh, my highest score was for Gumba, and it was the second, the third time I cupped it, and it was 92. And I think Toshi scored at 92 as well. And then actually New Jora was very high scores as well. Yeah, we wouldn't have Kenyan coffee to go through most of the year, so we should have, a, at any one time, we'll have one lot of Kenyan on the, the bar. One of the other things that we did this year that was important was that we bought the full production. So we bought all three export grades from the farm. So um, Kenya coffee is graded into AA, AB and PB. AA being the biggest, AB smaller, and then PB is P berries. For these small farmers, if they had to find three different buyers for all of those lots, it becomes really difficult for them. So we just bought all three lots and have managed to, and so for example, one of the pea berry lots was like 60 kilograms, but we've managed to place that coffee with some of our other customers around Australia who you know, might really value exclusivity on a lot or something or want something special for the showcase series. So we've managed to place those coffees, which is a little bit more work and a bit more background writing for Fleur, but it's worth it because uh, it's kind of like we're creating that market for farmers, which is really the most important thing that they need. And there's no good reason. I mean, the pricing's very, very variable for Peaberry lots and AA lots and AB lots. Um, and it's all just based on the size of the bean and the historic view that big beans are good beans, which is not necessarily the case it, in terms of taste. I think it depends a lot on how rainy it's been during the season, mm. how many AAs and ABs there are and how they taste. And then Peaberries is like always about 6% of the crop. The end. Yeah. <laughs> no question.